Welcome to the Beach Grove United Methodist Church Sermon Podcast. We are a church located in Suffolk, Virginia, and each week we post our sermons from our Sunday morning worship service. Sermon notes are linked in the podcast notes, and you can go and open them now and follow along as you listen. Our current series is called Everyday Saints. Join us and listen along as we explore what it means to be an everyday saint of the faith, the characteristics of saints, and those that have influenced our own spiritual growth as saints among the great cloud of witnesses. All of this leading to our celebration of All Saints Sunday on November the 7th. Go and like our Facebook page, subscribe to our YouTube channel, both of which are linked in the podcast notes below, and subscribe to this podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message, and please don't forget to share it with others. Good morning. Our scripture lesson this morning comes to us from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus, the true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he proves to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that you may have joy in you and that your joy may be complete. This is the word of God for the people of God. All right, good morning, Beach Grove. How are you doing this morning? So uh, I got tasked with uh, this Lady Sunday thing, um, and I got a real doozy of a uh, sermon to give you on piety. Uh, I remember before I gave a sermon on evangelism, and uh, yeah, that was another tough one. Uh, so I want to thank you for allowing me to speak before you. Thank you, Pastor, for having the confidence in me to speak before them. Um, So before we start, let's let's pray, please. Father God, that the words that I speak be everything you intend me to speak. That the words that are heard are everything you intend to be heard. And that they be pure and that they be beautiful. This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today's message is the second lesson in this continuing continuing uh, series for pastor Andrew is doing everyday Saints 
Today we're centered on the words piety and pious. And if you're familiar with the retreat, A Walk to Emmaus, you would know that A Life of Piety is one of the 15 scheduled talks. Of them, some are given by clergy and some are given by laity. As it turns out, the talk on A Life of Piety is given by laity. And so I feel it is appropriate and perhaps even providential that it's given today on Lady Sunday. I think God is good on that one. So piety is defined as the quality of being religious or reverent. Piety is a virtue which may include religious devotion or spirituality. Piety comes from a Latin word for devotion. We are called to piety and to be pious. The word pious springs from the word piety. But what do you think of when you hear the word pious? Do you hear it in a positive or a negative sense? What is unfortunate today is that the major mental picture people have and what most society conceives of the word pious is negative. Defined as making a hypocritical display of virtue with synonyms such as sanctimonious, hypocritical, insincere, self-righteous, and holier than thou. In a sense that being pious is just all an act of religious deception. Now, I have no idea where this negative definition comes from, other than people maybe using it sarcastically when speaking of sanctimonious, hypocritical, insincere, self-righteous, and holy now people. What gets me is that even then, saying any word sarcastically, no matter how often it is used, should not change the meaning of the word itself. It's baffling to me that pious could ever be defined as anything other than being devoutly religious, which implies reverence. Because the words sanctimonious, hypocritical, insincere, self-righteous and holy thou already cut to the chase when describing such people. In my opinion, pious, meaning devoutly religious, with synonyms devoted, dedicated, reverent, and God-fearing, should be the only definition of the word. How is it that a word derived from the same root, again, Latin for devoted, could become to me what it is and what it is not at the same time? How can pious be a positive attribute and a negative attribute, a quality to achieve, yet one to be avoided? There was one source that I looked up that said piety could be used to intimate this, this hypocrisy, but again, does that neg negativity come from sarcasm or simply come from people who didn't know the meaning of the word. People use good sarcastically all the time, yet its definition hasn't changed to mean bad. And I understand how the word bad has evolved to mean good. That meaning is understood to be just slang though. Yet the opposite definition of pious receives no quarters in dictionary circles. And I have to wonder why. Perhaps the lexicographers caved in and changed the meaning to placate those who misused it uh, because the misuse became the dominant usage. I mean, really, how often do we Christians speak of piety in a positive sense, if at all? I want to dispel the negative connotations of the word pious and piety and explore the original meaning and ways to achieve true piety in our lives. I have to admit, I may not be that best person to speak on this subject, 
But in doing so, maybe I, ch I can challenge everyone within the sound of my voice, as well as myself, toward that end. So, what is a life of piety? To begin, in the walk of Emmaus, uh, a life of piety talk, it is explained, piety is considered one of the three legs of, a, of, a li of living a life of grace. The other two being study and Christian action. Piety is your spiritual development. Using the example of the three-legged stool, you know it cannot stand on one or two legs alone, but must have all three present to do so. Likewise, you need all three elements, piety, study, and Christian action, to live a life of grace. This is not to diminish piety as merely one piece of the puzzle, but to exemplify piety's importance in being critical, a critical component that makes a life of grace possible. A life of piety suggests an entire life, not just momentary religious acts, practices, or routines. Piety does not try to stand out. Jesus warns us in Matthew 6.1. Be careful that you do not practice your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The term piety is not used in most translations but I did manage to find them in Catholic and Anglicized translations. Uh, most translations say alms, good acts, good deeds, and righteousness, but these words describe the type of actions that should spring forth from our faith and devotion to God. In other words, our piety should produce such acts. Perhaps Jesus' description there was when the people got the first impression that piety was a negative thing. I don't know, but I don't think so. Jesus was not portraying piety negatively, nor was he being sarcastic. Jesus was teaching us what piety is all about. Piety is not about action. It certainly is not about showing outward actions. Piety is a deliberate and very much an internal thing between you and God. Piety is about desiring to do what pleases God, expressing devotion to God, and keeping his presence ever before you. It is in your prayer praise and worship where a life of piety is found it is not in showing that your devotion outdoes your brothers and sisters how is this life of piety possible and what does it look like part of my task this morning is to flesh that out for you so when you think of a life of piety what examples come to mind the bible's full of saints that live pious lives when we think of famous uh, biblical features we might think of enoch or Abraham, Daniel, David, all the prophets, Mary and Joseph, the apostles, and then history is full of examples. But I'll just give you a couple. St. Francis of Assisi. I mean, when you think about that prayer that he did, I mean, that, that's the essence of piety. And Mother Teresa. Okay, so I know what's going through your minds right now. You know, these people are pretty extraordinary. They had a special connection with God. It's beyond us to live up to, the, to their examples. So how can we mere mortals uh, achieve a true pious life and become everyday saints ourselves? Well, I will offer one more example from history of a pious life that is possible for you, Susanna Wesley. Now, I know you're thinking now, I'm supposed to hold up the daughter of a preacher and the wife of a preacher, the mother of John Wesley and the mother of Methodism as an example of a life you can emulate for yourself. Pretty good test, huh? 
Yes, she is more than she is more ordinary than you might think. Uh, but she used her faith in ways we might find unfathomable. All right, so who was Susanna Wesley? Well, she was born 25th of 25 children. Talk about being born into obscurity. I mean, I realize that the baby might get a little more attention than the others, but and I have no definitive history of her childhood, but she could just have as easily become lost in the sauce. She had 19 children of her own. Well, that's extraordinary, especially in today's world of 2.5 kids and a dog. But you must consider the stress, physical, mental, and emotional, that this woman endured. Nonetheless, she was the primary source of her children's education and spiritual development. One time, her husband went to London on a church matter and left what they called a locum to preach at the church. Now, she wasn't satisfied with this man's preaching sermons because they basically revolved around repaying debts. So she decided to take the matters into her own hands. She would gather her children, they would sing a psalm, and then she would read a sermon from either her husband's or her father's sermon notes, and then followed by another psalm. And eventually, local people began to ask if they could attend. I guess they were bored with the locum as well. At one point, there were over 200 people who would attend Susanna's Sunday afternoon service, while the Sunday morning service dwindled to nearly nothing. Where did she find the time? And more importantly, how does your busy life stack up to that? If she could make time to be devoted to God, surely we all can. Susanna Wesley was not unacquainted with hardship and misery. Of those 19 children, nine died as infants. Four of those children died were twins. And a maid accidentally smothered one child. And at her death, only eight of her children were still alive. Her husband Samuel, well to be kind, though a church clergyman, he was not a very good husband. It is said that he left her for over a year over a minor, minor issue. He twice spent time in jail because he couldn't handle his finances, and the lack of money was a continual struggle for her. If that weren't enough, she went through two house fires where she lost everything and almost lost 12-year-old John in one of them. Now that's some heartache for you there. And she never turned away from God either. The woman is pretty amazing. She lived a pious life in the face of what I would call insurmountable odds against it. So I have to say to you, you can do it. You can't say I'm too busy. I doubt you were busy, as busy as Susanna Wesley was. You can't say life is stealing my joy. I doubt your life has been as tumultuous as Susanna Wesley's. Yes, you and I can do it, but it takes some commitment, pure and simple. So really, how do we do it? Let's begin by going back to what I already said about piety. Piety is about desiring to do what pleases God, expressing devotion to God, and keeping His presence ever before you. It is in your prayer, praise, and worship where piety is found. Remember, piety is your spiritual growth, your connection to God. It is a personal experience. A life of piety is having an active prayer life. Remember when Pastor Andrew, just a few weeks ago, preached on the prayer of surrender. His example was the Lord's Prayer. 
That prayer of surrender, to me, is also a prayer of commitment to piety. Think about what all it says. It recites the essence of our religion. Given by the risen Jesus Christ, God's name is hallowed. We seek his kingdom and his will in the here and now. We depend on him for our sustenance, both physical and spiritual. We ask for his forgiveness, but we also commit to forgive others to achieve it. We ask for his guidance and deliverance. Yes, that is our religion. It is how we are to approach life with the hope for the next. It is a prayer of surrender and piety too. <clears throat> a life of piety is having an active worship life. I don't mean just warming a pew every Sunday morning. It is a given, that is a given commitment. But a life of piety is in praising God for the good and leaning on him in the bad. It is regular daily worship. So by our lives, let's change the meaning of piety and pious back to where they belong. As words that only mean devoted to God. Let's bring the words piety and pious out of the darkness and shine some light on it for its true meaning. Because a truly pious person knows God, has a personal relationship with God, knows his place in this world and the next, and therefore would never look down on others as less than worthy of the same life of grace Jesus Christ makes possible. Stay connected to the vine, Jesus Christ, who makes it all possible. Apart from him, we, his branches, cannot sustain our faith. <clears throat> and our spirituality will wither and die. Christ's desire for us is that we desire the Father first and foremost in our lives. And in doing so, we make room for him in our hearts. And we dwell in each other. And we live fruitful lives that others would see and desire for themselves. It doesn't seem natural. And, it's probably, and it probably seems like a burden. But once you gain that desire to please God and develop the commitment to do it, the doing becomes easier and easier. Amen.